Welcome to the West Point Sermon Podcast. This is your place for audio for past and future messages. Video versions of this podcast are available at the link in the podcast description. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates when new sermons are posted. Thanks so much for listening. This week we're talking about Home Alone, the gospel according to Home Alone. Now, um, I love this movie. I know it's not like like a Christmas carol or or It's a Wonderful Life, like one of those like movies that's just like tears, you know, but it's it's one of those movies that I think of growing up, like this was one of the most popular movies in the world, and it's a huge part of my childhood. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, you've been living in a closet for the past 30 years, um, it's the story of two idiot robbers that get beat up by a little kid. I mean, that's the simplest way I can explain it. And who doesn't love that, right? Like, it, it really what happens is this family goes to Paris on, va- uh, on vacation to visit a relative, and it's during Christmas time, and with the perfect confluence of events, um, they leave their eight-year-old son at home alone. And uh, there's two house burglars, Harry and Marv, and they're, they're planning to use uh, this time when everybody in this neighborhood is traveling and on vacation to rob the homes in that neighborhood, including Kevin's home, the McAllister home, which is the nicest in the neighborhood. However, they didn't account for him being left home alone, and they did not expect the resistance that he would provide as they attempted to rob the place. Now, we watched this movie with my kids for the first time last night, and my oldest is eight years old, uh, and so just like Kevin in the movie, and, and Laura and I asked them what they would do if they were home alone and how they would defend their house. Well, the first response um, was that they said they'd probably go in their bed and cry if we left them home alone. <laughs> now, if you've seen the movie, he was like, everybody's gone, yes, <laughs> you know, uh, and he ate a bunch of like ice cream and junk food and stuff like that. But then we asked him, like, how would you defend the house? And, and Kayla said that she would get her Nerf guns. And she also had the brilliant idea she would put her, her play tent on the steps so that they couldn't get over the tent to get up the steps. Now, um, Kayla's, Kayla's a, a gentle and kind soul. So, I mean, those are, those are pretty, like, you know, passive defense methods. Me is a little bit different. Uh, she, she said, I don't know where she comes up with this stuff, but she said that she would get a flint, you know, like, like the rock that you used to start a fire. And she would fire them with a flint. She also thought that she would leave the cheese grater on the stairs. Because that would be really dangerous. I think it's safe to say that we won't be leaving our kids home alone for a number of years yet. (laughs) If it's dependent on them to defend our house, I think we're in trouble. You know, uh, as a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked all the time is, if God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Uh, this is a question that people struggle with. It's, a que- it's, a, it's the reason why a lot of people have a hard time believing in a God who loves them. And I want to talk about this today. And, and while I understand in principle the truth of why this is reality, I'll be honest, I don't fully understand why every evil act around the world it happens. I wrestle with this question too. And I can give you an answer that's based in Scripture, but 
ultimately, it's not so easy to give an answer when there's a terrorist attack or when people are hurt or killed. It's not easy when an innocent child is abused. It's not an easy answer when someone is mistreated just because of the color of their skin. You see, there is evil in this world, and it's the reality that we're dealing with. And there's a reason that that happens, but it doesn't make it easy to deal with as human beings. And we all struggle with this idea of evil, and, and sometimes it feels like evil is winning. Has anybody ever felt that way before? You know, just in modern history alone, there have been unspeakable acts of evil. Think of the Holocaust, or the Rwandan genocides, or, or 9-11. Even the Christmas story itself has a sinister side. There's something evil that happened as a part of this story. And, and I think sometimes we kind of skip over that. We, we glaze over that. We talk about the shepherds and the wise men and the cute baby and, and the, the Mary riding on the donkey and the angels and all the happy stuff about the Christmas story. But there's something else that happened here, and, and, and it's documented in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read through that this morning. And, and I want us to focus on a part of this story because on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the wise men. But today, we're going to talk about a man named Herod and what the Christmas story, how the Christmas story involved him. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read 18 verses here. So just stick with me this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one in the seat pockets in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take one of those. We'd love for you to have it. It's our gift to you, and nobody's going to tackle you in the parking lot on your way out this morning. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Who or where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what God had spoken to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw what he had been, that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, when she refused to be comforted because they are no more. So I want to share some things about evil this morning to help us understand it, to help us deal with it, and ultimately to help us overcome it, or at least overcome the fear of evil. You know, evil is present as a result of our broken world. Uh, we're going to talk about the wise men on Christmas Eve, but this morning I want to focus on the story of Herod. And the Bible tells us not only of a God who loves us, but an enemy who wants to destroy us. Satan uh, was an angel who thought he should be the object of worship rather than God. And so he rebelled and he took a number of the angels with him. And he was cast out of heaven. Now, this really would have been irrelevant because God had defeated him at that moment. But because God created mankind, this gave Satan an opportunity. God made Adam and Eve, and because he loved them, he didn't design them as robots. He gave them the ability to choose between right and wrong. And we know that Adam and Eve, because of the temptation of the enemy in a form of a serpent, chose wrongly and ushered in the influence of evil to this world. And Satan played on their need to have something more. What he offered them was the ability to know and to think like God, when in reality they had already been created in the image of God. And by listening to evil, they lost what they wanted in the first place. And here is mankind in a desperate situation. And now evil has entered into the world. And Christmas is the start, is the beginning of that plan to redeem the world to God. But even in this story, we see the evil that's present. Now, Herod was in a very powerful position. He was, he was the king, but he was also a very insecure person. See, he was a, a king that was appointed by the Romans as king of the Jews, in order to pacify any potential rebellion, he gave them a leader that could be their seat of, of government in that region. And he had a, a great amount of power. But with that power, the understanding that it could be taken from him at any moment by the Roman government. Maybe in a couple different ways. Maybe they decided that he was no longer the person that they wanted in that position and they could remove him that way. Or... Also because the Roman Empire maybe could be overturned someday and he would lose his position of authority. 
And so the idea that this Messiah was coming, he assumed, like most of the Jews, that the Messiah would be a political leader, that he would be, that he would lead a rebellion against the Roman Empire, that he would ultimately defeat them. And so thinking in those terms, Herod thought, well, if the Roman Empire goes away, so does my powerful position. In fact, there's going to be a lot of very unhappy people with me because of my alignment with their empire. So as a result, he felt the need to eliminate the threat. He was insecure to the point where that um, he was worried about not only his own reign, but ultimately the reign of his family following. Now the ironic thing is that Herod wouldn't live much longer. Um, history tells us that in addition to the act of genocide, which we just read about here, killing all those little children, he also killed two of his wives and his oldest son for fear that they were going to take his throne. This guy was deranged and messed up in so many ways. He was so fearful and he was so twisted by the evil in his heart that it caused him to do crazy things. In fact, his second oldest son, the one that he didn't kill, would eventually take over. But he would be removed by the Romans because he was crazy too. I mean, this guy had some serious problems. Now, here's the, here's the frustrating part for us as Christians. Even Jesus' story was an exempt from evil. Even in the story of the birth of our Savior, evil was present. And we as Christians, the Bible does not promise us that we will avoid evil in this world. In fact, it says kind of the opposite of that. There's, there's evil that, that we are going to face. Jesus promised us that. And, you know, just as Jesus had to escape King Herod, Kevin in Home Alone had some escaping to do. So maybe Jesus' escape from, to Egypt was a little bit different than that. <laughs> but, if, but you could definitely see how the two things relate, right? You know, what's amazing is even though evil exists in the world and even though we're going to face it for the rest of our lives, we know that God's plans succeed despite evil. What an amazing truth that is. Uh, think about everything that went into Jesus escaping Herod's grasp. Right? The wise men had a dream. They didn't go back to Herod. Joseph had a dream, said flee to Egypt. They, they, they fled to Egypt. Now, um, moving from, the promise, or from Egypt to the promised land took Israel the better part of a century. Okay? So Joseph and Mary managed to do that a lot quicker. And if you've seen the terrain that happened, you know, in between, like, I mean, it was a dangerous journey. It was, it was a scary journey probably in some ways. But they made it, and they did it with a newborn. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, making that kind of a journey uh, with, a, with a newborn baby. I, I want to be clear that even though Jesus' life was spared... And the Savior of the world escaped the grasp of evil in this instance. The families whose babies were murdered by Herod probably didn't feel like in the moment they were winning. 
Think about that for a second. God's plan succeeded. His son was spared. But in that process, little children lost their lives. And it was probably not understood at all by those families in that moment when their children were ripped from them. There are moments in our lives when we go through something horrible. Maybe you know somebody that, that died too young or maybe you or a family member were hurt by someone else. I, I want you to believe this, that God didn't cause evil or even really allow evil to accomplish his plans. He's not hurting you at the expense of a bigger picture. The world that we live in is corrupted by evil. There's evil in men's hearts. And the truth about God is that he's working for our benefit in the midst of that evil. I have this little saying that, that I use a lot and that I, that I hold on to, and I believe it's, it's true because of the alignment with the word of God. And I, I say this, that God didn't cause your pain, but he doesn't waste it either. The Bible tells us that that God works for the good of those who love him and are, court, are, are called according to his purpose in all things. Sometimes those things that he's working in are pretty disgusting, are pretty awful, are pretty terrible. Maybe this time of year is, is a hard time for you because you lost somebody you love around this season. And the memories of that moment make it difficult or even just times that you miss with that person and the memories that you had with them around Christmas. Maybe there's another reason you're struggling this morning. Maybe you're dealing with pain because you're struggling in your family or you're struggling with your finances or whatever it might be. But I, I know that in that circumstance, that even though Satan intends to harm you, that God is working for your good. If you're called according to his purpose, he doesn't waste your pain. John 16, says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Well, that sounds nice, but then you go on to read the rest of the verse. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So he's not saying... Well, listen, if you just place your faith in me, I'll give you peace because everything in your life is going to be beautiful. Everything in your life is going to be easy and perfect and smooth. If you place your faith in me, you're never going to have a bump in the road again. But that's not the message of the gospel. The hope is that even though we're facing trials now, this world is temporary. This life that we have, you might live 100 years on this earth if you're lucky. But eternity is God's, and our hope is in Him. And we're going to face trouble while we're on this earth. We're going to go through things that we're not going to understand. We're not going to, like, enjoy everything that we face. But here's our hope. Here's the reason why we can get through those difficult things, because God has overcome the world. And our hope is eternal. 
And because of what Jesus Christ did as he came to earth as a little baby, as he grew up, as he died on a cross, that is the reason why we have hope. That is the reason why our eternity is secure. Being a child of God gives us authority. Last week we talked about doubt and the battle that we have with doubt and wrestling with our doubts and how ultimately faith gives us the ability to overcome doubt. This morning I want to talk about something that's kind of related and that's fear. Fear and doubt kind of go hand in hand, right? Early on in the movie, um, Kevin heard, heard uh, Harry and Marv getting ready to break in. He kind of chased them away initially. And he felt like he was ready to stand up and face them. But unfortunately, he wasn't quite over all his fears yet. Maybe they are kind of like my kids, right? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> how many of you have ever felt that way before, that just when you feel like you're ready to overcome something big in your life and you're ready to face something new, a new fear pops up. Something new, something more challenging comes up in your life. Something totally new to be afraid of. Just because evil exists in the world, we don't have to be controlled by it. We can overcome fear. I was looking at verses that talk about overcoming fear, and I was noticing this theme. Let's see if you can pick it up too. I'm going to read a couple of them to you this morning. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. 1 John 4.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, but I want us to understand something here. Every verse that talks about overcoming fear that I could find, in my Bible at least, talks about our position as it relates to God. It's all about who we are in relation to who He is. It's all about understanding that our position is secure because He has overcome the world. So maybe you're here this morning and you need a change in position. Maybe you're in a position where you're an outsider to God's family. You've never received his invitation to come and be a part of it. You've been on the outside. You've been looking in. And today is a day where you can experience what it's like to be a part of that family. To be invited into God's house. To be a part of his household. God wants that for you. He's desperate for you to be a part of his family. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter your failures or your sins or, or the things that, that you've, you've done wrong before. God 
has sees you in your need. He sees you in your desperation, and he's crying out to you. And today, he's inviting you to come and be a part of that family.